Good morning, Harvest. Glad to have you out here this morning. Hey, why don't you uh, go ahead right now and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you'd throw your hand up. If you uh, didn't bring a Bible, if you don't, forgot your Bible, if you don't own a Bible, for sure get a hand up. Grab one of these. Go to the book of Acts. We're going to spend a little bit of time in there. As we start to unwrap some questions that, that people would have about God, and, and this, this whole sermon series is beginning this morning, we're, we're going to look at the next seven or eight weeks and, and begin to talk about these questions, the questions that you would have if, if you're out just for coffee with somebody, you say, hey, hey, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and they say, well, let me ask you this, and, and all these hard questions, some of them very difficult questions. We want to dig into these big questions. In fact, we're not going to just do it here. I mean, I've got like 40 minutes here to kind of unpack some of these questions that we want to also jump into it in our small groups, going deeper into each of these questions. So in your small group, you'll be able to, to open up more stuff, dig deeper into it. Now, if, if you're not in a small group, Maybe if you were brought here by somebody, hey, why don't you come check out church with me? Why don't you ask them, hey, man, I want to do that too. I want to go deeper in this too. Just ask them, say, hey, when's your small group meeting? I'm joining your small group. Let's, let's go deeper. If you came and you're like, well, I, no one brought me. I just showed up. But man, I do want to do this too. I want to go deeper into this. I want to ask some more questions. Then stop by the welcome table. Grab somebody in the, those red shirts. Make sure it's a red harvest shirt. Just wearing a red shirt doesn't mean you know all the answers, all right? But you grab someone, hey. Can you tell me a little bit more about this small group? I want to dig deeper into this. And as we open up and just start to say, hey, what is Christianity all about? Be to ask tough questions, not, not, hey, why don't you just come in, check your brain at the door, drink the Kool-Aid, just accept everything we say and jump into this thing. But no, no, is, is there a way we can look at Christianity as rational, logical beings? Is it reasonable to believe? Really, the, this whole sermon series is about us taking this, this on-ramp, this, this ramp of logic and reason all the way up to that place where you take a leap of faith. But is there, is there logic and reason to get you to that place? So what I want us to do is for all of us to begin to examine our worldviews. What do I mean by that? I mean, I mean, how do you answer the big questions of life? Where did I come from? What's my destiny? How, how, how should I live my life? What's the meaning of all of this? What happens after I die? What about pain and suffering? <coughs> and so as we jump into this series, we're, we're going to dig deeper into the Christian faith. Why? Why? Because it's important for us to, to dig into what is our worldview. But we have to understand that all of us come in here this morning with a worldview. I mean, like, no, 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 I, I got invited to this thing. I'm not a religious person at all, but you still have a worldview. Yeah, but I, I don't think spiritual things at all, but you still have a worldview. You still have a way in which you, you try to make sense of life. None of us comes here, here just as this, this clean slate of, I don't have any, no, we all come with worldviews, with, a, with a, I don't believe in Jesus. Yeah, but that there is a worldview. It's a faith statement. It's a way of looking at life. The big question then is if we all have a worldview, what's our worldview looking towards? What, we've got this lens, this window, this worldview. What's it looking to? What's it looking to, to to find answers for these deep questions? In fact, I was thinking about this. There was a, a while ago, my family went on a vacation. We went to Florida, and we, we were flying to Florida, but we went on like one of those cheapoairtickets.com kind of things, right? So if you're gonna like fly cheaply, you fly like 700 legs of the, just to get to Florida. So like there's exchange over exchange, get on another plane, another plane. But what's great for my daughters, so I have three kids, so they get to divide up this short trip to Florida, which took four planes to get there, right, to save the money. They go, okay, who gets the window seat on each leg? 
right? So they're fighting over who gets the first, who gets the next. So Chloe, my youngest, won out to be the first one to get a window seat. It was the longest part of the journey as well. She's super excited. She rushes, gets the seat, flips open the little plastic window to look out at her view, and this is what she sees. That's the engine. So... She's looking at and there's the motor. She gets to stare at an engine for the whole time, and I'm such a loving, caring dad before hugging her. I went, I'm gonna get a picture of this. All right, okay. <clears throat> I hugged her after, all right? So let's go on to another. If you see that the whole time, you're never gonna listen out, right? So here's the thing. The important thing then is what does your worldview look to? It's important. Here she is hoping, I hope I get to see all the sky and clouds, and she sees an, an engine. So it, we start to look at what's my worldview? What's your worldview look to? Does your worldview answer the big questions of life? So we need to come to this place where we, we bring our questions, and, and we come as reasonable, logical people, but we also come, those who have faith, and say, can we ask these things together? Can we bring logic and reason and faith and Christianity and bring them into the same room together to be able to talk these things out? Because our worldview, every one of us here, our worldview is made up both of empirical evidence and unprovable beliefs. Now, our culture would say, no, no, there's no way you can do it. You can't, you can't bring those two together. You can't bring the spiritual and the, and the faith into the same room, into the same discussion as the, the science and the, the, the empirical. They don't come together, and we get preached that all the time as a narrative of our culture, so much so that we begin to buy into it. Now, where do you see this? This is seen like if you ever watch CNN where they have the debates sometimes. Hey, we're going to debate faith and Christianity and science and, and we're going to reason. And so here, here's the people we're going to debate it with. We've got Richard Dawkins here, professor at Oxford University. And he's going to be arguing for reason and science. And over here, we've got Billy Bob who loves NASCAR and has most of his teeth still. And he's just, I love Jesus, right? And, that's, and we go, yeah, see, they don't fit, and, then, and Dawkins in his British accent starts talking about astrophysics. And he's like, maybe, maybe faith and, and reason can't go together. We have to see, though, is that the Christian faith has satisfied the greatest minds of history. And so we can come at this, at our faith, with logic and reason, and also to see this, that as a skeptic, as someone who comes in here this morning going, I'm a little skeptic of all this faith stuff, you also come from a place of faith. We bring these two worlds together to create our worldview. No one comes here as a purely scientific person. There's always part of your worldview that can't be proven in a lab. No, 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 I, I, I only believe anything that's empirical proof and you can get evidence from it. I won't believe anything else. How do you, how, how do you prove that worldview? What, what lab do you put that into to see if that's a worldview that works? So all that being said, here's what we wanna do. We wanna dig deeply into the Christian worldview. This morning, we're going to start with what I think is, is one of the most foundational but also difficult questions that a, a Christian needs to answer, and it's this, where you, you could ask this, how can you say that your faith is the only way? How, how can you say that Jesus is the only way to God? I mean, think about that. The statement almost seems unfair, doesn't it? Is there like some secret password to heaven? And what about this person who, who lives a great life, who loves their kids, who's hugely generous, and they're doing everything so great? I mean, they're living better than I am, but because they don't accept Jesus, now they can't have their life made new and right. They can't get to heaven. I mean, from the outside, doesn't it seem so arbitrary? 
If you ask people today, hey, hey, what's the biggest cause of division in, and violence in our world? Most people would say, well, it's people who have this radical view of religion of theirs is the only way and there is no other way. And religion divides, religion brings in trouble. And I would say this, as a Christ follower and even as a pastor, a preacher, I would say I agree with that. That religion by its nature does naturally tend to divide people and bring out the worst in them. Now, why would I say that? I say because religion is this. Religion says, here's the standard you need to meet. And if you can meet this standard, then you've arrived. And so we come at religion with this idea of, I'm here on my higher plane, and I meet this standard. I, I don't go to those kind of movies. I don't put that stuff in my body. I don't do these things. Right? And you've got this little list of rules, and you meet that standard, and you hit that high plane. You get to look down on everybody else. They're not meeting my standards. And then, then what do you do? You start to distance yourself from those people who don't live on the same place you live. And that, that distance begins to, to bring into, uh, lead to ignorance. And that ignorance leads to, to suspicion. And suspicion leads to contempt. And contempt can lead to violence. And, and I agree, religion is, is divisive and exclusive. But what I hope to show us today is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, isn't at all like that. Authentic Christianity is, is humble and loving and peace-promoting. We're going to look at a guy uh, in Acts by the name of Peter. Now, Peter's this follower of Christ. He, he's one of the first leaders in the early church. The church is getting going, and he's, he's talking about Jesus being the only way, and it gets him in trouble. So they bring him into court, really, and say, hey, hey what's this thing you're talking about, Jesus? In Acts chapter 4, if you've got your Bible open there, look at verse 12. Verse 12 says this. It says, and there's, this is Peter responding to the accusations of what are you talking about? He says this, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no one, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Peter says, hey, hey, yeah, there is no way. There is no other way but Jesus. There's no other name, no other authority. Now, it would have been super cool with those listening if Peter had said, hey, hey, Jesus is our way, and you have your way, and this is what I believe, and this is what you believe, and, and what, what got the church in the first century in so much trouble was their claim that Jesus was the only way. And, and the objection then, and it's really the objection we have now, is this, that when you start to claim that there's only one way to God, it's an arrogant, exclusive, and divisive claim. This claim is, it's, it's arrogant, it's exclusive, it's divisive. And, and here, this question, this problem with Christianity, it wasn't, it's not just a, a problem in our culture. It started even back when the church first birthed in the first century. And I think we often think, well, no, no, I think that whole tolerance thing, that, that whole believe whatever, that everybody's okay to believe what they believe, that's kind of a new thing because we progressed as a culture towards that. No, Rome was just like our culture. It was built on pluralism. That they would say that, that all worldviews need to coexist together, that, that no way is the right way. We all have our own way. And in Rome, what would happen is they would conquer us people. And when they conquered them, they'd say, hey, you can keep your God just as long as he's just your God and he's not the God. And so there would be Ephesian God and the Corinthian God. There would be the God of, of fertility and the God of rain and the God of war. And, and so what they did, they built the the Pantheon, right? And they had this huge temple and inside that, there'd be all these statues of all these gods. 
And over top of the whole thing is the, the mark of Caesar, which is what's saying this. It's saying, hey, hey, all those gods are great, but none of them is the ruling God. All those gods bow, submit to Caesar, to our culture, to who we say we are. People have this idea that, that back then when Christianity started here and the, the early church got started that, I mean, everybody believed in their thing was the only thing. And they're like, well, well, we used to believe in the sun God and that was kind of our thing and he was the way, but now you say Jesus is the way, okay, then we'll believe Jesus is the only way. That's not the culture of this time. If you study history, the problem the early church had is the same problem that the church has in culture today is that they wanted to worship Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not that Jesus was just another voice, another God in amongst all the other gods. But they said Jesus was the true God, the only way to salvation. And so the, the accusations start to come, right? And we can say, man, that's such a, an arrogant way of thinking. Is it arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way? I mean, if we're humble, shouldn't we realize that none of us is smart enough to see the whole picture? So who has the right to stand up and arrogance and say, this is the only way? Shouldn't we, we be humble and say, well, you know what? Maybe we should consider all views being equal. I mean, maybe you've heard it this way before. You ever hear the story of, of how to describe religion? It's about three blind guys that find an elephant. They run into this elephant. And the one blind guy hits the side of the elephant. He feels the side of the elephant. He goes, elephants are big and smooth and large. Another elephant goes, hits, hits the trunk. He goes, no, they're not. They're, they're flexible like a snake. And then the other blind guy runs into the tusk. He had the worst of all of them, right? Hits the tusk. He goes, no, they're not. They're sharp like a spear. Right? And the whole idea is this, that, that no one, all these blind people represent us looking at faith and at religion and nobody sees the whole picture. So we all have our kind of piece of what God is. And isn't that more humble to say, yeah, that, that's a humble place. We don't see the big picture. Here's, here's the problem with that, though. Leslie Newbegin, who was a, a philosopher and a missionary in India, heard this story over and over again. Every time he was talking about Jesus, this was the story, and he finally came up with this. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying it's more humble to look at it this way, but, but what you're saying when you say that picture, you're saying you're the one person who's not blind. You're saying, no, 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 you're all blind because you just see part, but I can see the whole thing. And when you see the whole thing, you realize how, how blind you are. And what are they doing? To tell that story, to, to create that as the picture of what our worldview is, you have to do the very thing you're telling others not to do. You have to say, I've got the best vantage point to see the reality here. I'm superior. Everybody else is blind but me because I can see the whole thing. And, and so you ask, well, when Peter said Jesus is the only way, was it out of arrogance that Peter said it? Is he saying, hey, I can see the big picture better than any of you. I have more knowledge than all of you guys. I mean, here's what happens. The leaders tell him to stop talking about Jesus. Listen to his response in verse 19. Peter and John, the guy with them, answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. They say, stop talking about Jesus. And he says, you know, I, I can't. I can't stop talking about the things that I've seen and heard. P Peter's not being arrogant. He's not saying, hey, hey, I see things more clearly than you. He says, look, I'm not saying this because I'm more superior than you are. I'm a barely educated high school dropout fisherman. But a guy was raised from the dead. And, and he told us what the deal was, and we believe him. 
I kind of feel like if a guy raises from the dead, he's got a right to tell us how this whole thing should be. And if, if you can't, if, if, Peter said, if, if you can't buy into that, you need to take it up with him, not with me. And he goes, oh, wait a minute, you did take it up with him. You killed him, and he rose again. And he, and he ate with us and hung out with us, and we saw him. So we're sticking with Jesus. I mean, that's not arrogance. That's taking Jesus at his word, and it's a, the decision that each one of us has to make. The decision we have to come to is, is Jesus who he claimed to be? The whole linchpin is, is Jesus God? Did he raise again from the dead? Now for Peter, a guy steeped in Jewish tradition, to come to this place where he would say Jesus was God was a massive shift. But he's saying, listen, I saw him killed by crucifixion and those Roman guards don't mess around with crucifixion. They know what they're doing. I saw him killed. I saw him put into a tomb guarded by other guards. And again, those guards aren't just gonna fall asleep. If, if someone came to steal the body and those guards let it happen, they would have been put to death and their families as well. He says, we saw Jesus raised from the dead. We hung out with him. We walked with him. He talked with us, ate with us. Why else would me? He says, why else would I, a Jewish man, why else would a Jewish woman ever worship Jesus as God? Because we didn't make this up. We're not being arrogant. We never would have believed it either except we saw him. You think about that, no other spiritual leader claimed what Jesus claimed or, or had claimed about them what was proclaimed about Jesus. And so if you believe who Jesus says he is, you have to come to this place of saying he's superior overall. If I don't believe that Jesus is over all, then I don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. If, if I believe, no, he's just a good moral teacher, that Jesus didn't exist because Jesus never claimed to only be that. So for Peter, it's not arrogance. It's just this logical conclusion. Because I'm not being arrogant. I'm just, I'm just saying this is the reality of what it is. I think of it this way. If you're on an airplane and the, the captain of the airplane comes on the loudspeaker as they're coming into land, he goes, you know what? I'm sick of how arrogant the traffic controllers are telling me how to land this plane and where to put it. So if you look out your window to the forest over there, we're gonna flip this baby upside down and land it on its roof, right? And everybody in the plane says, what a humble pilot. So much humility no, you're, no, 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 dude, that's illogical. That's, that's crazy. So believing what Jesus said, it's not, it's not arrogant. In fact, it's, it's probably one of the most humble things to say because what you're saying is, hey, listen, I'm not saying I'm smarter. I don't see better than everybody else. I don't have a better vantage point than anyone else. I just believe Jesus is who he says he is and he has the ultimate vantage point. And I'm gonna take him at his word. So we come at this with Humility. Say Jesus is the only way is from a, a position of humility, but, but someone could still say, yeah, yeah, okay, well, you can do it humbly. I get that, but it's still exclusive. You might be humble, but you're still being so exclusive to say that it's the only way. I mean, you're pushing other people away, but listen, listen, if you're a Christ follower, we need to engage with people around us. We need to respect people's ideas. But what happens is we can move from cultural pluralism, which means we, we engage with, we accept, we, we bring, we, we, we're okay to hang out with, we wanna hear other ideas, that's cultural pluralism, but we quickly then move from that to being forced into metaphysical pluralism, 
which, which means this, not only are we okay with hearing all these ideas and respect them, now we have to say all ideas are true. And that just doesn't make logical sense. To say, well, well not only do you need to, to be, a, to, to be uh, polite about it, not only do you need to, to respect people, you now need to believe that they're all true. And think about it this way. Have you ever heard the conspiracy theory about the moon? We never landed on the moon. Right, so, so say you're out with coffee, somebody, and they've been listening to late night radio and they, they hear this theory, like, no, yeah, Stanley Kubrick, he, he made the whole thing up. They filmed it in a studio in LA and I can prove it to you and, and look at the pictures and how the shadows go and look, the flag shouldn't be like that because of gravity and all this, like they just sort of paint the whole thing. Well, what do you do when you hear that? You don't go, wow, I mean, they said it. It's a viewpoint, so I have to accept it as true because I, I, gotta, I gotta be this inclusive person. So to be inclusive is you go home and you tell your family, guess what? We never landed on the moon. It didn't happen. Do you ever see the video? Bit of an aside. Do you ever see the video of Buzz Aldrin? He's actually landed on the moon. You see that video where a guy jumps out of him. He's like 90 years old. The guy jumps out to yell and goes, you never landed on the moon. And Buzz Aldrin just, boom, punches him right in the face. It was awesome. <laughs> Google it when you get home. All right. Okay. This is not the application. You can't punch somebody because you disagree with them unless you're 90 and you've been on the moon. Then you can do it, all right? That's the only people who can punch anybody. But here's the thing. <laughs> we need to respect. We live in a culturally pluralistic world and we need to respect that people have different viewpoints. But it's illogical to then move to saying all the claims are then true. I mean, first, let's, how about this? Let's be open to this, that, that Christianity is not the only uh, worldview that's exclusive. Muslims believe that Islam is the only way. One God, Muhammad, is his prophet. The only way you can be saved is convert to Islam. Buddha rebelled against Hinduism. He goes, I don't want, the, I don't want any part of Hinduism. I, I can't accept the caste system. I, I reject their holy book. Sikhism rebelled against Buddhism and Hinduism. An atheist rejects anybody's belief in a God. Listen, worldviews are exclusive by nature. Even the hardcore inclusivist is exclusive. Think about it. If you buy into the, what I would say there's the religion of Canada, which is we're super inclusive, everybody love everybody, nobody say anything about anybody that, that would disagree with them. And so we buy into that. We say, I want to be totally tolerant and inclusive. So don't be narrow-minded, don't be judgmental, include everyone. Oh, okay, what about Christianity that says Jesus is the only way? E, not that one. That one's not true. Every, but we accept everybody, but not that. So listen, to, to have a stance on truth, but in, in its, just its nature of truth, it has to be exclusive. Trying to be inclusive, you have to exclude most worldviews. And what do you do? You end up that if, you, if you're trying to just, no, I don't ever want to be inclusive, you end up building this worldview on this contradicting system where you say, no, everything's got to be true, but truth by its very nature needs to exclude that which is its opposite, which is untrue. I mean, think of it this way. When I marry people, and I've got a couple up front, and I'm marrying them, and I'm like, this guy is taking this woman to be his wife. What does it do? It excludes every other woman in the room. It's this, this exclusive relationship. So to say I'm married to this one means I'm not married to those ones. So as Christians, we, we don't hide from exclusivity. Truth is exclusive. 
I mean, it's logical to, to live out of what Jesus said. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus was hardcore exclusive with truth. But he loved and cared for anyone, inclusive with his life, just not with truth. People say, well, that's narrow-minded. It's no more narrow-minded than to say, but in my time, in my space, in my place in history, in my viewpoint, my viewpoint is right that all religions are the same. Jesus, Muhammad, the galactic fish god, they're all the same. Now think about that. Look look at that, that claim that all religions are the same. And it's problematic on a lot of levels. Here's one. First of all is this. Every religion actually contradicts every other religion. See, we can't say, well, they're all basically the same. I mean, it takes a couple minutes of research to dig in and go, man, they're not the same on any, any of the big issues. Forget the details. Like, well, what, about, what about God? Who, what's the, the nature of God? And, and a Christian would say God is one, but in three. It's the Trinity. Where, where a Jewish man would say, no, no, no. There is only one God. Or Buddhists would say, no, there is no God. A Hindu would say there's hundreds and millions of gods. And so we say, well, no, no, all religions are the same. They only differ on small things like God and heaven and hell and sin and creation and morality. And so we can't say they're all the same. So if that's, a, if that's a, well, okay, so they, they, they differ on different things, so then we can't say they're all true, because if you were to say, well, they differ on all these things, but they all can be true, you're breaking the laws of logic. The, the principle of non-contradiction, it means this, that two things that contradict each other cannot both be true at the same time. It's impossible. So I can't say that, that this is true, that, that I'm wearing flip-flops today. And you say, are you wearing flip-flops? No, I'm wearing socks. Which is it? Because you shouldn't wear socks or flip-flops. It's just not good, all right? right? So, right, one truth always has a contradiction. They can't be the same at the same time. What if we say all religions are equal then? Okay, they're not all true, but they're all, they're all kind of same. We need to embrace and accept all religions. Okay, well, well which, which religions will we accept and not accept? We can say, okay, the Ammonites, they, they worship Malak. They, they sacrificed, burned alive their kids. They played music, uh, worship music to Malak while they did it so they could drown out the screams of the children. Is that it? Do we accept that one? Well, no, not that one. What about Jim Jones? who physically and sexually abused his followers, who, who got them all together in one place and, and 900 people partake in a mass suicide following this guy. So then are all religions equal? Or is it logical to say there's truth and there's untruth? Tim Keller, he's a, a pastor and a theologian in New York, um, writes this book called Reason for God. You want a great book diving into these questions, Reason for God by Tim Keller. And, and he talks about the struggle for our culture to get a hold of this. He said he was invited by a university to have this panel discussion. Himself and Iman and, and, and a rabbi were at the front on this panel and they're talking about religion. And, and the Iman and the rabbi and, and Tim Keller admitted to this. They said, listen, if, if Christianity, if their God is the God, if Jesus is God, then we're wrong about the worldview we've created. And if we're wrong about that, then we're in trouble when we meet God. And Tim Keller's the same. He goes, listen, if what they say, how they view God, if they're right, then I'm wrong. And here's the crazy thing that happened. The students watching couldn't get their head right. They said, no, no, you can't say that. That's intolerant. 
but it logically falls apart otherwise. So how do we do it? How do we deal with this? And how do we, okay, if, I can't just say that one's true and one's not true because I can't get my head around it. So how do I do it? So what do we do? In our culture, we follow what, what I would say began with Immanuel Kant, where he said that we can divide truth up from objective truth and subjective truth. So what's that mean? Objective truth would be things like this. Albany is the capital city of New York State. For those who think it's New York, there's a little bonus egg in the sermon for you, right? Now you can impress your friends, okay? Because what's your thing? Well, no, I, I want New York City to be the capital of New York State. It's got the same name. It's the biggest city. And so he's here, no, I don't believe that's true. In fact, I feel so strongly about it. I'm going to, hey, let's do a vote. How many people here would rather have New York City be the capital? And everybody says, yeah, we're all in. Does it change the fact that Albany's actually the capital of New York City? It doesn't change it. Why? Because it's objective truth. And Immanuel Kant said, that's objective truth. Now, subjective truth is something like this. It's if you were to come over to my house and sit down with me and my wife and you'd say to Libby and I, hey, what do you guys think is cold in here? It's gonna be different, right? Are you cold right now? I'm not cold and she's freezing. Why? It's subjective truth. And Immanuel Kant said, listen, religion, faith falls into that category. It's not objective, it's subjective Religion is just this personal preference. And Peter comes along and says, listen, this isn't my personal preference. Don't, don't, don't put me in that corner of subjective truth of just my preference. I saw someone raised from the dead. So again, we have this choice we have to make. To, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but you can't just shove him into a group of religions. Hey, get in the pantheon. Just be one of the other many gods in there, and, and we can all just worship together if it's your preference to, to worship how you want to. And Peter's saying, listen, that's just the opposite of what Jesus himself claimed. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now you can say, I don't believe that that's the truth. I don't believe that Jesus is the only way. Listen, that's fine, but that's an exclusive claim. Just as exclusive as someone to say, Jesus is the only way. So you have to choose. What defines what reality is? Is it what culture says reality is? Is it a, is it a world system? Or, or do I get to pick and choose my own reality? Or is it Jesus who chooses the reality? And whatever you choose, you're going to be on the opposite side of someone. So then if, you, if you're a Christian here this morning, how, how do we as Christ followers live this out? If, if the truth is exclusive, we're not getting past that one because truth is exclusive. So if we're gonna be living this exclusive faith, how do you live it out well in our culture? We do respect other people? Yeah, for sure we do. Do we, do we defend and fight for religious freedom for everyone? Of course we do. Do we slam and demean other people's viewpoints? No, no way. In fact, I would say this way. I was reading of these missionaries who, who went to India. When they got to India, they saw the, the situation there where the Hindu caste system made it so that those who were poor and sick were just left on the streets to die. Why? Because you just step over them because you know what? It's karma, man. Like that's what they're paying for sins from their old life and so we don't need to deal with it because that's their karma. They'll pay so that next time they come around, they'll have a better life. And so this missionary couple comes in and did they go against the religious system? 
Did they push against the Hindu system that brought this out? For sure they did, but here's what they did more than that. They critiqued it, but, but they lived out their faith by loving and caring for those who were broken and who needed to be with them. Exclusive in the truth, but inclusive with our lives. So what are we seeing? We're seeing that, that the, the faith claim, it, it, it can come from a place of humility, not arrogance. It is exclusive, but all truth is exclusive. Here's the last thing. Isn't it divisive? I mean, doesn't Christianity divide us? Doesn't it cause us to have fights? Doesn't it cause, doesn't Christianity take people and lift them up so now they look down on everybody else and separate from the, the unwashed masses? And look at verse 32 of chapter four. Peter and John are released from this courtroom. They go back to the church. They gather together. And this now describes what the church looked like. Verse 32 says this. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles, these disciples, were giving their testimony to the resurrection of, Jesus, of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all, and there was not a needy person among them. So, so what's happening here? How did they get to this place of just, this sweet place of just loving everyone around them? Well, well religion comes in and says, hey, do this to be accepted. Be part of this group to be accepted. Live in this way. And every religion sets a standard. I mean, if you live a certain way, if you keep our rules, you get to be part of our club. That's how religion works. And, and religion says, if you can follow these rules, you can be okay with God. So good people are in, bad people are out. So you can look at yourself and go, you know what, I, I think I've got superior morals. I, I think I'm better. I, I think I'm better disciplined than other people. I, I think I can, I, I'm, I'm okay to, to come in. And then Jesus comes along with the gospel and blows that whole thing up. And he says, no, no, no. Jesus says, I lived the perfect life for you because you couldn't. And you were so broken, so messed up. Jesus had to die for us. So desperate for God's grace. So unable to meet the standard on our own. So it's not good people that find God. Because if that's the case, if it's about being good, where do we draw the line? Who's in and who's out? I'll just be honest with you. I know my heart. I know myself deep inside. I'm not sure you'd let me in. If, if that's where the line's gonna go. Who, who do we include? Who do we exclude? The gospel comes along and says this. This is no different than anyone else. Maybe you think, well, wait a minute, now, man, I don't buy into the whole religious thing. I don't, I don't judge anybody. I don't have a religious standard. Listen, all of us have a standard. Even if you go to the place that's the most, a place that has no church in it at all. If you were to drive over, I'm trying to think of a, a place in our world that's probably the most irreligious, that wants nothing to do with God, and I can think probably the, the West Coast, right? If you were to go out to the West Coast and drive through a neighborhood there with your big four-by-four truck jacked up with huge knobby tires, your NRA sticker on the back, and you're yelling out the window, driving through Vancouver, I refuse to recycle ever, <laughs> right? You'll be judged, okay? It doesn't take a Christian to, to draw these lines of this is what it means to be in, this is what it means to be out, but Jesus comes along and says this, we're all out. I'm no different than anybody else. My sin put Jesus on the cross and, and I'm acceptable not because of what I've done, because I've met a standard, but because of what Jesus has done is he lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. He died the death that I should have died in my place. 
He rose again from the dead to conquer my sin and death and to raise us to new life. And what happens in that moment, when you recognize that, you're humbled, you're transformed. And then you welcome others the same way. I mean, what's going on in this church? Why is it that they're so inclusive? Because they've been humbled, because the gospel humbled them. They're, they're grateful to God. They, they praise God. They never look at themselves as, look what I've got accomplished. And so you receive other people the same way you've been received by Jesus. In fact, I would say it this way, the most exclusive sounding claim in all of human history that says Jesus is the only way produced the most inclusive loving community the world has ever known. I mean, think about the, the transformation of these Jewish men in the first of Acts as the church is being birthed through these Jewish guys. A Jewish man would get up every single morning and pray the same prayer every morning. He would pray this, thank you, God, that I'm not a, a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. That's what a Jewish man would pray every morning. Then you read through the book of Acts, and what do you see? All the people coming into the church getting saved are, are slaves and women and Gentiles. The gospel didn't produce division. It created, it created this inclusive. It destroyed the division. No longer would race or culture or backgrounds or even your, your moral history, no longer would that divide these people. I mean, the Greeks and the Romans at that time, they would never mix the rich and the poor. The Christians did. The Romans and the, and the Jews would never mix races. The Christians did. The gospel produced this, this inclusive community. Now, why would it do that? How, how is this created? Why do we see this picture in verse 32 and 33 and 34? What creates that? It's this reality for the Christian that Jesus was on a cross dying for those who didn't love him, dying for those who didn't care about him, dying for those who didn't agree with him, giving his life for us while we were God's enemies so that we could trust in him and we could become sons and daughters of God. Listen, it, it radically changed the first century. I mean, the, this church grew in boldness. They, they trusted Jesus enough. It says they just gave everything away. They just cared for everybody's needs. Why? Did it grow generosity? For sure. But where did that generosity come from? It comes from trusting that Jesus is who he said he is. So generous that there was a, an emperor named Julian who wanted to stamp out Christianity. He hated the Christians, but he writes this letter to somebody. He says, I'm trying to stamp out the Christians, but I can't because all the other religions, yeah, they take care of their own poor. These Christians take care of everybody's poor. Changed by the gospel. Why would it happen? Why, why would they reach out like this? Did, did they do it because they wanted to be better people? They wanted to reach a moral plane? no. The gospel doesn't come to make bad people good. It comes to make dead people alive. They didn't just give a little bit. They gave everything. They put all their chips in the middle of the table and said, I'm putting it all on Jesus Christ. It's not about me and my, and my morality. It's about Jesus. And I trust that Jesus took care of it all. And the church became, became this, this incredible group where, where, where it was mixing people together. The culture never mixed together. I mean, the Romans and the Greeks would, would separate based on morality. And here we've got in the church, we've got these Christ followers worshiping beside prostitutes. 
Why? Because when you're a sinner saved by grace, your identity isn't based on you and your morality any longer. It's not based on your social standing or the size of your checkbook. It's based on something else. It's based on a claim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And a church becomes this crazy mix of everybody from every walk of life. Listen, the early church ran up the ramp of reason and logic before they took their leap of faith. They saw the resurrected Christ and they wrote about it. They wrote it down, hundreds of eyewitnesses. This is the linchpin on which everything else hooks onto. It's, it's do we believe Jesus is who he says he is? Do we believe the resurrection happened? Because they believed it so much they gave their lives for it. They wrote it down so that others around could, could verify it. So if you want to say that Jesus is just a good moral teacher and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with Jesus as long as he, like, he's just a good guy, a great teacher. Listen, Jesus didn't give us that option. Jesus claimed to be God. And so we have to come to this place where we recognize, okay, okay, if Jesus claims to be God, he's either a liar and if he's lying about this, he duped millions of people and we shouldn't respect him. That's not a good moral teacher. Or Jesus is totally nut bar, he's crazy, he's delusional, thinking he's the Messiah, and he's not worthy to be followed either, or, or, or this, that Jesus was telling the truth, that he is Lord. See, that's the, that's the, the dilemma that you have to walk through if you're gonna come at this question. People who met Jesus, they either wanted to worship him or to kill him. We're gonna throw him off a cliff. We're gonna hang him on a cross. And so, so Christianity is either the craziest worldview ever thought up or it's the only thing you could ever give your life to. There is no middle ground with Jesus. He won't hang out in the pantheon with all the other little gods. He claimed to be God. He was killed for it and rose again from the dead. The tomb was empty. The Jews knew it. The Romans knew it. As the worship team comes up, and as we end off this morning, we see in early history that the early church believed Jesus is who he said he was because they saw him alive. And historians talk about how quickly the early church grew and how it transformed culture, and they can't explain it outside of an empty tomb. And I'm not a Christian because it's the most handy worldview to have. I'm a Christian because there's an empty tomb, because God is who he said he is. Because Jesus rose from the dead and said, I can give you new life. And we look at the cross and we see that Jesus took care of our greatest need, our greatest problem, which is our sin. And the empty tomb says he was successful in it. That he has authority over life and death. And Jesus came and he rose from the dead to say this, to say all religions are over. They don't work. I came to do for you what you can't do for yourself. You can't work your way up the ladder to get to God. It's impossible. You'll never make it. And Jesus says, I came to do that for you. Religion says do more, strive harder, be better, impress God. And Jesus says none of that works. It'll never work. So I earned it for you. And so we come to that place where we have to ask the question, do I believe that or not? And if I believe that, how do I respond? I respond by giving my life to it, by, by repenting, by turning, by saying, I'm not gonna pursue my own thing anymore. And Jesus transforms you. He changes your heart. He changes your passions. He changes your desires. 
and he rose from the dead to give you new life now and for eternity. And so the question is, where do I place my hope? Where do I build my worldview this morning? I mean, do I set up this foundation of my life saying it's all true and, and put this foundation firmly in midair where it doesn't make sense? Do I say none of it's true? I'm gonna put my hope in myself and just hope I can make it through. Or this morning you say, you know what? I know that doesn't work. Jesus says he's God. Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. Do I believe it? Will I put my hope in that? Would you stand with me as I pray as we end off this morning? As you stand there with your heads bowed and your eyes closed before we go to prayer, I just, maybe for you this morning, you, you hear all this and you say, yeah, I, I get that. I, I understand what you're saying. I've, I mean, I've got a lot of questions, but I, I'd like to step out and, and follow Jesus in that way. I, I wanna embrace Christ and trust Christ, that that's where I want my life to be built on, but how do I do it? I mean, what do I say? I don't think it, it matters totally exactly what you say, but, but you would say something like this, Jesus, I need you. I believe in you. I trust you. My way doesn't work, and I need your grace, and I want to follow you. Maybe you'd pray that this morning. Or maybe you're here this morning and say, you know, no, the, hey, you know what? I, I still got a lot of questions like that. That kind of, it, it, I, I, I want to lean into this, but I've got so much more that I need to ask and I'm not so sure I'm ready just to commit my whole life to this. And maybe you too could ask God today. Or even right now, you could say, God, if you're real, make yourself known to me. Jesus, if you are the way, the truth, and the life, would you reveal yourself to me? Listen, God loves to answer that prayer that this week God would show himself. Draw your heart. Let me pray. Lord God, I just, I thank you for the truth of who you are, Jesus. And even as we look at all the logic and reason, we also know, God, that you say that that that. The gospel is still foolishness to so many people. So God, I pray that all my effort this morning, Father, I know that, that presenting a good argument won't change hearts. So I pray that even now, even now your spirit would be at work. God, you'd be, you'd be drawing hearts to yourself. You'd be lifting up the wounded and the broken to show them the, who they are in you, Lord Jesus. You'd be humbling the prideful. God, you make so clear the gospel that says that we are more broken than we'd ever dare admit, but we're more loved than we ever could imagine, that we put our hope in you. God, that you would do the work. That you'd bring people to you because they see you. They come to that place of, I believe this. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.